The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. 8474. This morning, it's my privilege to introduce our chapel speaker, the Reverend Matt Yusey, is currently the senior pastor of Trinity Church, Central Oahu, Oahu in Hawaii, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. He's been pastor there since 2014. Prior to taking that call, he served churches in Columbia, South Carolina, Orlando, Florida, Redmond and Bellevue, Washington, and also in his hometown of Philadelphia. He is a graduate of Columbia International University, Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, and also did some uh, studies, additional studies, at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Matt is married to Karen, he has four children, and uh, most importantly, perhaps, he's not only here to speak in chapel, but as the chairman of the Church Planting Network, uh, the PCA Church Planting Network on the islands of Hawaii, he's here today at lunchtime. For anybody interested in doing ministry in Hawaii, Uh, including RUF ministry. Thank you, Julius. It's wonderful to be back with you. I was here a couple years ago. Many of you benefited from the free pizza lunch. You're you're, uh, welcome to do so again. There are no strings attached. Um, And I don't even know if it's going to be Hawaiian pizza. We'll see. It's out of my hands, making no promises. Uh, When people hear that I'm a minister in Hawaii, they tend to give me that look, right? That look, oh, it must be hard being you. I'm going to be honest, it's the most beautiful place I've ever been in. Uh, But there are a lot of challenges there. Uh, But in the end, people are still people. Sin is still sin, and we all need the gospel. And so the ministry of the church, the ministry of word and sacrament, is what is of utmost importance to see that place transformed more and more into the word of God. Hawaii is the one state, the only state, which used to be a kingdom. Yes, the 13 colonies were under the British crown, but only as territories. In Hawaii alone, we can say that a king used to rule us and used to reign here. That reign ended some 123 years ago, and there's remnants of it being a kingdom all over the place. There's monarchs who have uh, roads named after them, buildings named after them. They are enshrined in one way or another. Brings to mind Westminster Shorter Catechism 26. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his, en- all his and our enemies. Even though we in Hawaii live in once, w- what once was a kingdom, the concept of being ruled and defended by one champion, one head, one lord is quite foreign to us probably as foreign as it is to everyone who has been raised in a representative republic or a a land of democratic elections. Yet, God made us to live under a king. We were made to live for the glory of King Jesus. C.S. Lewis, who himself was a fan of democracy in one way or another, or to one extent, I should say, said um, very poignantly that when a nation does away with monarchy altogether, people will invent a monarchy after their own appetites. 
Lewis wrote, where men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead. Even famous prostitutes are gangsters. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. Lewis said that with no king, the taproot of the Garden of Eden gets cut out of us. I believe that this notion of Jesus being our king has indeed been so cut out of us that we miss it every day, even when we speak of him. You're fine seminarians. I'm sure you know that Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's his title. It's the Greek parallel to the Hebrew Meshiach, Messiah, the anointed one, the king. As one scholar put it, the best translation of Jesus Christ could very well be King Jesus. We worship and adore King Jesus. And this morning, as I briefly uh, read from Ephesians chapter 1, I hope that we'll be reoriented, in a sense, to this eternal truth that Jesus is our King. I'll be reading Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14 from the English Standard Version. Brothers and sisters, this is God's holy word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to look very briefly at three aspects of Jesus executing this office of king. The King Jesus creates a people, he reigns over his people, and finally he keeps his people. First, King Jesus creates a people. When we speak of the offices of Christ, of course, we're speaking of the roles to which he was from eternity past appointed unto by the Father through which he would mediate the covenant of grace. This means that before the foundation of the world, God knowing and ordaining the fall of man, deciding in his good and perfect will to establish a plan for our salvation. This would be accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ, his eternal son, as the mediator, the only one between God and man, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We see all of this in Ephesians 1, that long Greek sentence that the ESV has gloriously left as one long sentence almost, right? We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood. His purpose, which he set set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time and on and on and on. This speaks to what salvation is. 
There is salvation only in Jesus Christ. This was God's plan in love from before there was time. Before there was time, the Godhead determined that the eternal Son would go and get a people for the Father. He would do the work of winning a people for his own possession over whom he would reign. The Father and the Son would send their Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to melt our hearts and to show us the beauty of God's grace so that we would repent and believe the gospel. And he sealed us in Christ. This means that if I'm a Christian, it is only because King Jesus, as the old hymn puts it, sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. This ought to work in us a humility that is noticeable to people who know us. We speak of this faith in Christ we have. Why do we have this faith? Why are we a part of his people? Well, as the confession puts it, it's because Jesus subdued us unto himself. He made us his. One of the great temptations we fall into is to actually think that we somehow are better than others, that we were somewhat more sensitive, intelligent, humbler, so that God chose us. We wouldn't put it in those terms, would we? We tend to think that we are a little better, that maybe God is lucky to have us. But Jesus is the king who subdues our hearts. He's the one who creates a people as king. But he also reigns over his people. The time of the New Testament, the Caesars claimed the titles, the Son of God and Lord Caesar. His status was of emperor, representing the heavenly rule on earth. And upon that backdrop, the epistle writers describe Jesus to be the true eternal son of God. And it is he and not Caesar who is Lord, who reigns over the earth. But how does he reign? What does his reign look like? Well, for our brief purposes this morning, as we consider the church, we would say that he administers, as a king administers and organizes his people all over the world into churches, giving as gifts pastors and elders to serve and to build up his people. He gives the word and sacraments to feed and establish and strengthen his people. He gives his spirit to intercede and to convict and to comfort and to assure. This is all the work of King Jesus. He is reigning. He is administering. We Presbyterians are known for taking vows kind of seriously, right? When a family becomes members of the church or when a child takes communion for the first time or when Church officers are ordained or pastors are installed or people are baptized. We make certain vows and we recognize that. Why? It's because King Jesus is reigning. It is not just something good that we have decided to make a big deal about. No, it is the living, reigning King Jesus doing what he said he would do. He said, he promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was a promise and his promise is being fulfilled in the church. And I believe as I'm ministering on this beautiful rock in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, that my fuel is that King Jesus is reigning here. He is building his church in our midst. I am not just doing something because it seems good. It is actually a work of the King who reigns. So King Jesus reigns over his people. Finally, 
King Jesus keeps his people. When we speak of Jesus as our king, we are not primarily speaking of his reigning and ruling over all things in creation. Though that is true, it is certainly true. He is sovereign indeed without qualification. He rules the universe. He rules the sparrow. He rules everything. But we are speaking of him as the king of his own people. He is the king and head, the royal head of his church. His kingdom now is a spiritual kingdom, not one with walls made of stone, but consisting of his people all the world over. Now, why is this significant? Why is it significant for you? Why do you need to know this distinction? Was Louis Burkhoff wrote, the kingship of Christ over the universe is subservient to his spiritual kingship. His reign over the rock and the trees and the unbelievers and the weather serves his kingship over us, over his church. Burkhoff wrote this, God invested Christ with authority over the universe so that he is able to control all powers and forces and movements in the world and can thus secure a safe footing for his people in the world and protect his own against all the powers of darkness. These cannot defeat his purposes, but are even constrained to serve them. Under the rule of Christ, even the wrath of man is made to praise God. Isn't that amazing? That King Jesus, the Christ, rules all things for the good of his own people. This helps us understand Romans 8, 28. Verse 30, through verse 31, you know these verses, hear them. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he foredestined, predestined rather, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This teaching is one thing to acknowledge, right? It's one thing to put it into a system, a good system, but really believing it, believing it to where it shapes your reactions to your life's circumstances is so very hard, isn't it? I was tested in this area within a few months of moving my family to Oahu, and I can't say I passed the test well. Uh, one night when my wife Karen and our kids were home and I happened to be out with a church member, some people broke into our garage and stole our bikes and a few other things. This is not uncommon in Oahu. We didn't realize it until the, final, uh, the following day when we saw some of the things that the thieves apparently did not want scattered over the lawn of a neighbor, that's uh, I guess a shot to your pride. Didn't, uh, didn't want our stuff, so they left them. <laughs> Jesus keeping his people means, if I really believe it, that our God is ordering that act of evil for mine and for Karen's and for our children's eternal good. He is for us and he's working this robbery out gloriously to make us cling to him over all things. So his kingship over all things for the universe is subservient to his kingship over the church. Burkhoff again. 
The idea that Christ now rules the destinies of individuals and nations in the interest of his blood-bought church is a far more comforting thought than the notion that he is now a refuge on the throne of heaven. Do you see the comfort in this? King Jesus keeping you does not mean that he distracts you from the hard things in life with whims of heaven and harps, but rather that he is controlling all things now to ready you for himself forever. He, he reigns and his reign is for you and for your good. And he is all power. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is your king. As I conclude this brief devotion, considering his work as our king, I'm reminded of the cruel yet beautiful irony of the final moments of our Lord's life on earth. He was put on trial by the jealous leaders of the Jews. They used the idolatrous Roman belief that Caesar was the only king, the true son of God, as grounds for their accusations against him. Upon questioning his kingship, Pilate, against his own conscience and desire, handed the king of creation over to be killed, and he let them. He went willingly, because in order for the king to create a people for himself, he had to make them worthy. The only way he could make them worthy was to lay down his life for us, imputing to us the righteousness that has been his from all eternity. Now just listen, and this is how we're gonna end. Just listen to how your king did it. This is how your king made you a people. It's from Matthew's gospel account. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. This is how your king subdued you unto himself. This is how he keeps you in his reign. This is how he defends against attack and accusation. He pleads the merit of his blood forever for his people. This is the message that transforms every sinner who will ever be converted unto Christ into a child of God. This is the power and fuel of ministry in Hawaii and the world around. Believe in him, hide in him, rest in him. Let's pray. Lord, we confess to you that all too often we don't think of you, we don't rest in you as being the one who reigns, who is seated on the throne of heaven, the earth being your footstool, who is doing all things according to your gracious promise to keep us until the end, to work in us, Lord, more and more sanctification until that great day. We confess to you that our eyes are all too often our ultimate guide, our feelings even more so, Lord. And yet you will keep us, King Jesus, until the end. For you are the God who subdues 
and defends and defeats. You are the king who keeps his people. Help us to believe in you with greater confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.